Buenos dias. Buenos dias. Did you miss me? <laughs> Isn't that selfish? I missed you. I missed being here, and I hear I missed some amazing summer services. Um, so thank you to everyone who shared their gifts during worship this summer. I'm, I'm actually committing to you publicly here that I will listen to recordings because I, I, I want to hear everything that, that happened. I am the Reverend Maria McCabe. My preferred pronouns are she, her, and, uh, and hers. And it is truly, as always, but especially today, a joy and a pleasure to be with you and to invite all of us into the spirit of worship this morning. I'm going to invite us into that spirit with these words from Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Love cannot remain by itself. It has no meaning. Love has to be put into action, and that action is service. Whatever form we are, able or disabled, rich or poor, it is not how much we do, but how much love we put into the doing. A lifelong sharing of love with one another. Our reading this morning comes from uh, the Reverend Rebecca Ann Parker. This is called Choose to Bless the World. She says the choice to bless the world is more than an act of will. A moving forward into the world with the intention to do good. It is an act of recognition. A confession of surprise. A grateful Acknowledgement that in the midst of a broken world, unspeakable beauty, grace, and mystery abide. None of us alone can save the world. Together, well, that's another possibility waiting. I've wondered sometimes, because you know I'm fond of saying things like, we're the love people. I'm fond of saying things like, love wins. If love hasn't won, it's a, it isn't over. And I wonder sometimes, because there was a time, I wonder sometimes how it might strike some of you, this talk of love, which can feel a little weird, right? Love, what? You know, are we talking Hallmark? Are we talking kinky? <laughs> are we talking getting a little too close to one another? What are we talking about? So today, as, as we, I begin a new season with, with all of you, I want to go there with you and start to explore what this means by love. What does it mean when I say or we say together that we are the love people, that our work in community, our work as a religious community, is to love the world? Especially at a time when love is probably the least public, the smallest public commodity there is. When in fact, the overt public display 
of hate is about as, as obvious and big and prominent as it has been in my lifetime. Not that the hate itself is new, it's not. But the permission to publicly be engulfed, to proclaim hate as a policy, as a way of living in the world, can make it pretty hard to stand back and say, well, I'm going to love the world. It feels like a very tiny voice that says that. Now, I don't know how many of you, and I'm not going to ask, and you're welcome to at any time to share with me and talk with me about this. And I, I don't know how many of you are feeling the impact of this hate in the air. If you are feeling hated, or if you are feeling hate for the forces in the world that are, are taking these positions. I know for myself that I have been angry and anxious at a level that has been hard for me to cope with. Because as the experience of, of Rosie in this story, and I recognize Rosie, I recognize her in so many people that I love, and I recognize her in me. You know, I recognize this, this thing that it is so difficult to watch suffering and not, not feel that we can't do anything about it, that we can't heal it, that we can't make it go away, that we can't make it stop. I'll speak for myself, I'm saying we, but I'm talking about that feeling. Watching someone I love suffer, watching someone I love who is losing the battle with addiction or with the health system or with the economic inequalities that chart. It is painful learning a way to grow from that place and that discomfort without running away from these realities that are, in fact, part of all of our lives, whether we realize it or not, right? They're part of what we are called to serve in this world full of beauty and grace. Learning our way out of that place that enables us to be resilient and strong and ready for the long haul, that's, that's spiritual growth. I've been very struck in recent weeks. I've, I took the advantage of the summer to do a, a great deal of reading, which may or may not be good for you, but <laughs> you'll let me know. But I've been reading a book of sermons by, by the Reverend Martin Luther King, published in 1963. And the sermons, the collection is called The Spirit of Love. And he began to write the sermons while he was serving a jail sentence. And in a sermon entitled Love Your Enemy, you know where that teaching comes from, right? comes from the, the teachings of the, 
of the prophet Jesus in the, in the Gospels of the Christian Testament. I want to find the quote because I should have highlighted here, and I want, to read, I want to read it to you verbatim. He writes about loving our enemy, but he basically says hate cannot stamp out hate. You guys know that quote? Only love can stamp out, can stamp out hate. Returning hate for hate multiplies hate. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And then he says, hate scars the soul and distorts the personality. I know how that feels. I know how that feels. I know how it feels to be the recipient of hate. I know how it feels to watch the people from my community, from the community that raised me, from the community of my language and of my heart, being criminalized, detained, separated from their children, put in concentration camps for what is essentially a misdemeanor and the crime of being poor. And I know how it feels to feel that surge of hating those who can do this and be okay with it. Now, a minister who wants to keep her job probably shouldn't say that in public. But that's the truth, dear ones. That's the truth. I don't know if you have that same experience or not. I know that for many of us here in this space this morning, and for many, if not most, of those who are gathering in Unitarian Universalist worship spaces around the world this morning, this season in our world is the first time we've been targeted by hate. For those of us who occupy relative positions of privilege, and I know it's complicated. Some of us have lots of privilege, and some of us are privileged in part of our lives and not in others. I I know it's complicated. But for those of us who, for the most part in our lives, have occupied positions of privilege, and I count myself in that space. For those of us in that space, this is the first time we've been forced to deal with the fact that we're not in power now. Yes? No? Are you with me? You're all very quiet. I forgot that about you. And so how do we deal? And my answer to you, or my beginning of an answer, because I follow many great spiritual teachers, including Dr. King, including bell hooks, including not Han, including so many others. Love is the answer. Spiritual maturity, that aspiration 
of continuing on the journey until we get to the place where we can be happy and do the work at the same time. Eric Fromm and, and, and following him, Scott Peck, F. Scott Peck in, in the, the Road Less Traveled, write about love being the willingness to help others on their spiritual journey. That doesn't allow for hate. That doesn't allow for blinding anger. If my anger leads me into humility, if it leads me into courage, if it leads me into building coalitions and taking risks and learning, if it leads me into loving the world, then my anger is a powerful thing. If it leads me to shut down, to ignore whole portions of the population, to demonize them as I am being demonized, if it leads me to be self-righteous, and my anger is not useful. Now, I love how Rosie learns her lessons, right? I love, I love how good it feels, right? When, I mean, not that anyone's ever called me a superhero. I'm still waiting. <laughs> right? It feels good to do good. It's actually neuroscience has, has begun to prove that. There's some great research I read in a publication called Live Science. You know, we're wired to do good. We're wired for empathy. We are not wired to beat each other over the head with clubs or racism or whatever weapon we have at hand. That's not what we're wired for. We're wired to help one another because the truth is we won't survive if we don't. Our planet won't survive if we don't. So we're wired for this. How do we get there, right? How do we help one another? Nobody has to tell Rosie in the story, which I also love, right? Nobody has to chastise her or punish her. All they have to say is, oh, gee, you must be a great help at home. <laughs> she goes, whoops. <laughs> Spreadsheet gets put away. <laughs> I love that. Oh, save the world spreadsheet. <laughs> that kind of feels like a Unitarian Universalist thing, doesn't? <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> like a giant spread the world, save the world spreadsheet. <laughs> I'm not going to suggest it because, honest to God, somebody would do it. So, so we won't go there. So this is a big theme, and I can't, like, I can't sort of hand out an easy soundbite answer, but I will say two things. One of the things that all of these teachers, including King, who told black people in the United States, love the enemy that oppresses you, he wrote those lines while sitting in jail, because otherwise they own you. Because the person I hate... Those of you who are familiar with 12-step recovery as I am will recognize this. The person I hate is living rent-free in my head. And I don't know about you, but there's not enough room in my head for that. Maybe when I was younger I had enough room. I don't anymore. We can love the world and still be fierce. We can love the world and still be committed. But if we want to love the world, and I think we do, 
we have to love ourselves. We have to love ourselves enough to do the work of looking at ourselves honestly. And say, as I shared with you, I have looked at myself honestly and I have said, I'm holding hate and it's hurting me. It's hurting me. We have to do the work of identifying those places where we need humility and where we need courage and where we need one another and where we need to say, I'm wrong. Or I hear you. That, is, that love is the most difficult thing to do, to continue to grow. So it's the inside work, which is part of what Rosie does, isn't it? She makes amends to the people she hurt. And the outside work. The outside work, when we evict that tenant from our head, there's space to be engaged. Not all of you, not all of us are going to want to be engaged in the same stuff. Not all of us are going to want to be engaged necessarily in a social justice project. But I'm going to spend the next couple of minutes just laying out for you some of the social justice work that is happening right here that could use your support and that I hope will excite you and inspire you and give you a range of opportunities to share your gifts. We are in the process of working to renew our um, designation as a welcoming congregation. It's been many years since that designation lapsed. I don't know if you knew that. It, it doesn't last forever. And a welcoming congregation in Unitarian Universalism is a congregation that is intentionally and actively welcoming, affirming, and accepting of LGBTQ plus folk. So when I share my pronouns at the beginning of the service and when Jesu does this, this is part of being welcoming. Right? So we're in the process of renewing that and seeking to actively conduct more LGBTQ weddings here because there aren't that many faith communities in our region that will do that. Now, some people think we should get the carpet cleaned, but I'm not going to get involved in that before, <laughs> before, we, uh, before we do that. We have a Green Sanctuary team, a team that is looking very hard and has been working already to bring our building in every way, and our, and our uh, congregational culture in every way possible into the highest standards of environmental stewardship. And building relationships with other Unitarian Universalist congregations in order to do that, and community groups that are, are doing that, so that we can, in fact, practice what we preach when it comes to saving the environment. We have once again this year a series of opportunities to engage the work of anti-racism, anti-oppression, and multiculturalism, which is hard work. And I urge you 
to attend, I urge you to open your heart and, and allow, let us allow ourselves to ask, how can we grow? How can we grow in this, in this space? There is an immigration team with which I need, I need help from you because I know there's a will here and there's energy to work on this issue. We are looking at not only possibly a 600-bed detention facility being built in Harford County, but now I recently learned a whole number of new detention facilities being built in our area. Do we want that? Does that reflect our values? And I need help, not only because it is a big issue, but also because it is so deeply personal for me that I need support. So far, a lot of different areas. And these are areas already of commitment. And I'm not even beginning to list the things such as what Maureen des described and the homeless shelter and the other, the silent witness, our, our, our uh, efforts to end domestic abuse, which will be kicking off at the end of September. And there's something new I want to share with you, something I've talked about with a few of you, but not, it mostly happened over the summer. So I don't know if many of you, if any of you remember or watched a series that came on Netflix uh, in, in the late spring produced by the producer Ava DuVernay, called When They See Us. Anybody familiar or heard about it? Well, When They See Us is a gut-wrenching and powerful, dramatic, it's not a documentary, over five episodes, telling of the story of the Central Park Five, who, who went to, to jail and suffered unspeakably before they were finally exonerated. Some folks call them the exonerated five. In the wake of that series being produced here in Harford County, several leaders in the community, particularly African-American leaders, including several ministers, gathered together to, to work on an effort to bring greater police accountability. I was invited and graciously and generously invited to be part of that planning. And what we learned in the process is that actually, here in Maryland, it is legal for police and for school security officials to interrogate minors without notifying their parents or guardians. That was a shock to me. It was a shock to everybody in the room, to be honest. It's actually been a shock to some of the judges and state's attorneys we've called. And so our effort is to reverse that. If, if we can, we want to propose legislation in the next legislative session in Annapolis that says, actually, no, you have to notify somebody's parents or guardian doesn't mean you can't interrogate them, doesn't mean you can't, but you know, their parents really need to know. Because it's happening. It's happening here in Harford County and it's happening elsewhere in, in Maryland. And I don't need to tell you who is most likely 
to be subject to that. So the first event, maybe you saw it in the news bites, is on September 20th. But that too is an area where, where this congregation can be involved. Quick, I know I've left things out, and if so, please forgive me, but I want you to know that right here in your religious home, we need you. We can use your gifts, your energy, your questions, and it is, there are opportunities for you to start. Start evicting, <laughs> if you have that tenant, maybe you don't, but to get involved. What will your answer be? Thank you, dear ones. Amen. Ashe and blessed be. None of us alone can save the world. Together, that is another possibility waiting. Please know I love you. <laughs>